0: Good morning, good morning. Good to see you guys. All right, let's start off with a question. Why don't you guys go ahead and answer this at, the, at your tables. What comes to mind when you think about the book of Revelation? What has been your experience with it? So just, we're not looking for like profound answers, just what's your, what's your experience with the book of Revelation? Go ahead. Take about another 60 seconds, so let other people talk. All right, about another 10 seconds. All right. All right, let's hear some of your answers. What's, uh, what comes to mind when you uh, hear the book of Revelation? Just go ahead and shout them out to me. Mark of the Beast. <laughs> and that was for my son. Wow. <laughs> all right, we watched the Left Behind movie once, all right? Just forgive us. Anyone else? Book of Revelation. Yeah. We win. What? We win. we win. There we go. Yeah, that's good. Blessing. Blessing. Rapture. Uh, Mystery. Mystery. Good. What? Revelation of Jesus. There we go. Yeah, someone's been going to a good church. (laughs) Let's do one or two more. What else? End End times. The millennium, right? When is the world going to end? Is it going to happen in our lifetime? How does Israel becoming a nation in 1948 fit into biblical prophecy? Who do you think the Antichrist is? One of my favorite uh, pictures of the Antichrist was um, back in the 80s. They thought it was Ronald Reagan because his name is Ronald Edward Reagan. Ronald has six letters. Edward has six letters. Reagan. Not kidding. That that was one of the things. How are we doing? (laughs) You guys were there in the 80s. Come on, man. It was nuts. Don't you remember rapture practice? Come on. What is the mark of the beast, and is it related to the COVID vaccine? Listen, guys, the mark of the beast cannot be a a vaccine shot, because then it would be the mark of the beasting. Sorry, it's bad. Oh, no, don't turn on me. We haven't even got to verse 1 yet. The revelation humor is not getting any better than that, all right? I'm not sure there's been any book that's had more curiosity or more craziness than the book of Revelation. I mean, I think cults have been started on a lot less, right, than that book. Um, I typically see two responses when it comes to the book of Revelation. The first one is people, they get obsessed with the book of Revelation. These are people, they're trying to relate, uh, relate to it like it's a prophetic jigsaw puzzle, and they're trying to crack the code with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, right? Uh, maybe you've seen those, uh, those timelines and those diagrams that explain it. There's actually one that Sean uses to explain it. Can we put that one up there? Yeah, doesn't that just simplify everything? No, Sean doesn't actually use that one, I'm just teasing. But how many of you grew up with these kind of charts where they would put them up there and there's the charts all the way across it and this is supposed to somehow simplify it, right? When people get obsessed they miss the purpose of the book. We're gonna see here over and over again yeah, take that chart down. I don't want anyone trying to be like, what, hold on, what's, what's the fourth horn of the beast? Why is there a crown on it? No, no, we're not getting into that right now. When people get obsessed with it, they miss the purpose of the book and the purpose too is unveil Jesus, we're gonna see. I went to a Christian high school in the 80s and I remember in the mid 80s, there was a book that came out 88 reasons that Jesus was going to come back in 1988. How many of you guys remember that? I think we got a picture. I was going to buy the book and bring it, but it was like 50 bucks. I'm like, I just can't spend 50 bucks on this stupid book just for a prop. But uh, anyway, and so here, here was the reasoning for this book. This is an actual book. He said, we cannot know the day or the hour, but we can know the month and the year. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. That was seriously like the reasoning. And so Jesus didn't come out and come back in 1988. And so what did he do? He wrote a sequel. Why he's coming back in 1989. Really, he wrote that. Remember that? Later, someone wrote a book, uh, 99 Reasons Why We Can't Know When Jesus Is Coming Back. I like that one. I actually like that one. Uh, And then there's other people. They say, you know, we can't know the month or the year, but we can know the generation. And of course, it's always the generation that that writer's living in, right? Because it sells more books. And so uh, another writer, he wrote how he was overwhelmed by these issues. And here's what he writes. Desolating earthquakes, sweeping fires, distressing poverty, political profligacy. You got to hate political profligacy, guys. It's it's a bad. Private bankruptcy and widespread immorality, which abound in these last days, obviously indicates that the Lord is returning immediately. These words are written by William Miller in 1843. Who disappointed tens of thousands of Christians in America, they followed him to a hillside and they were waiting for Jesus to come back. Now why do we bring this up? Because do you remember the guy the boy who cried wolf? What happened is people stopped listening to him. And I think it hurts the credibility of the gospel when we're not getting the message of Revelation. We're trying to use it as some I don't even know what we're trying to use it for. Listen guys, Jesus said clearly, he is coming back to earth. That is our blessed hope. The classic language of this is a literal, personal, visible return of our Lord. He's coming back, okay? But here's the thing. His dad wants it to be a surprise party. You're not going to know the day, the time, the hour, or the generation. The point is, be ready. It can happen at any moment. And Mark, he said, No one knows the day or the hour. This is Jesus speaking. No one knows the day or the hour or the times or periods or seasons or eras. That's how those words can all be translated. Neither the angels in heaven nor the son. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. He's waiting for the father to tap him. I'm sure he's like ready. Jesus doesn't know, so you're not going to know. Jesus uh, does say, I'm coming back. It's not for you to know. So be about your father's business. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Those leckers. Cleanse them. They need it. Love your neighbor. Give to the poor, bring heaven to earth, destroy the works of the devil until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Okay? Um, what Jesus does not say is, I will come again, so speculate and argue and try to figure out when. Okay, so there's one extreme where people, they just become obsessed with the book, but probably in, in, uh, in the circles that we're in, people just ignore the book. All right? I believe a lot of people, they've just given up on the whole book. They basically say, listen, I can't understand a word of that book. It's got these bizarre images. There's a the whore of Babylon. Like, what is she up to? People eating scrolls and pits and dragons and famine and death and war and pestilence and four horsemen and the apocalypse. It doesn't seem like a happy book to them. They're like, you know what? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, pestilence, war, famine. I think I'll do the Psalm 23 thing one more time. Like, it's a lot easier to go back to that one, right? I'm just curious. No, no guilt or shame here. How many of you have never done a serious study of the book of Revelation on your own? Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Here's some good news. We're going to take Revelation back. Okay? We are, uh, so I want you to get ready for, to be challenged. I want you get, uh, ready for your world to be rocked as we study this last book. It's a book full of the coming glory. But we're not waiting to be taken out of this world. We're looking to be filled with glory streams of heaven so that we can transform this world. Okay? So you may hear some things that you've not heard before. Be prepared to be stretched. Is that okay? I think it'd be really wise for all of us, including me, as we begin our study today, simply by saying these words, I don't know it all. That's going to take us a long way. There's some wild stuff in this book, and I think it's going uh, to take some humility mixed with revelation to get anywhere in this book, all right? I believe it's the most deeply spiritual book in all the Bible, It's a book written for you to satisfy your craving to be one with Christ. We're going to see it's an unveiling of Jesus, but because you've been made one with him, it's also an unveiling of you. There is a second coming of Jesus, but he wants to come through his church before he comes back to earth. How we doing? Anybody mad yet? I hope not. Revelation is a book that must be eaten, not just read. Revelation 10.9, he tells them, eat this scroll. We don't just read the book, we eat it. It's a meal to be savored. Growing up, I don't know about you, but a lot of us are like, you know, chew your food, don't eat so fast, actually swallow your food, right? And so it is with the book of Revelation. It's a meal to be savored. I'm sorry, vegans, but it is the best steak you will ever eat, the meat of the word of God. All right. By the way, just to let you know what's out of bounds, I read a um, story, this is from years ago, a pastor in Dayton, Ohio, when he got done, finished uh, teaching the book of Revelation, somebody shot him. That's out of bounds. There's no violence allowed here, okay? So you can have questions, but, you know, just let me teach the whole thing, then ask your questions. Don't start getting focused in on the minutiae here. Let's just catch the grand scheme of this book. It's, it's, it's majestic. I mean the atmosphere of the book is amazing. Here's John. He's on the island of Patmos. He's in prison, and, uh, I mean he's having a bad day. He's in prison. He's in shackles. He's an old man at this point. It's probably written in the mid 90s. He's shackled. He's working on a stone quarry, and the, the, it's the real Devil's Island, really. And so he's there, and uh, all of a sudden he's in this cave on the Lord's day. I love how it says on the Lord's day. We'll look at this in a second. Um, they, they used to call it the Sabbath, but it got transformed on Sunday to the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day in Rome was something that, it was the day that the emperor ascended to the throne. So if the, if, if the emperor, this was the case, Domitian, let's just say it was a Thursday, that became the Lord's Day. And he would preface every letter, um, your Lord and your Savior, Domitian. Your Lord, that's how he would start off every single letter, every single address. So it's interesting, it says on the, the Christians began calling it uh, Sunday, the Lord's Day, because that's the day that he ascended on the throne. And it, says he's, it says John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's in this cave. And all of a sudden, we're going to see um, an angel appears to him and begins to dictate these things to him. And the, the uh, New Testament scholars tell us it's the worst Greek in the whole New Testament. It's like he gets a pen and he's writing as fast as he can. And all of a sudden, it's like this grand cosmic opera. All of a sudden, whew, there's this scene, and he's taken up to heaven, and he sees the throne of heaven, and the, there's a sea like glass, and the four living creatures, and he's writing things down as fast as he can. And then, it's interesting, he goes from in the spirit, and uh, in Patmos, in the spirit into heaven, and then he goes back down in the spirit to the wilderness, and he goes back up in the spirit to the great mountain for this, uh, this cosmic wedding, and you can just see, he's like, he's just overwhelmed, this image after image. And so I don't want us to get so detailed down that we miss the grand scheme of these things. We're to, we're, I don't want us to lose the forest with the trees, right? So just catch this, that here's this guy who's being overwhelmed with these images that he can't even describe, and so he's going to be using the language of symbol and metaphor. <sighs> and he's breathless. I mean, this, this, it's written by the John, we're going to see here in just a second. And he was the one who was reclining at Jesus' breast. And now when he sees him appearing in his glory, he falls dead at his feet. And then he's like, get up. you got some stuff to write. And poof, scene number one, scene number two. And it just unfolds, and he writes it down. And we're going to see it's literally being dictated to him by the Trinity. It's an incredible scene. Here he is in the island of Patmos, and the Trinity shows up. It says, the one, God the Father, the one who was and is and is to come. And the seven spirits of God, just as the, whole, just as the Trinity is three in one, the Holy Spirit is seven in one. And then we've got uh, Jesus Christ, the firstborn among the dead. I mean, he gives us these grand titles. The Trinity shows up on the scene and begins dictating in his book. He falls down as dead and starts writing his butt off. That's the book of Revelation. It's a book of hope. So turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to get through three verses today. How's that sound? We'll cover cover the rest of the chapter next time, but let's, uh, let's get these first three verses. Let's get some introductory material here. Revelation chapter one verse one: the revelation of Jesus Christ. the opening words tell you what the book is about. I'm not sure how many how people have missed this for so many years. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. But here's the deal, guys: the entire Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ, not just the book of Revelation. Okay, the whole Bible unveils Jesus to us. Hebrews ten seven is recounting what Jesus said. In the volume of this book, it is written of me. Speaking of the Old Testament, he's saying, yeah, it was about this guy right here. Luke 24, he's on the road, he's on the road called, to a city called Emmaus with two disciples, and he begins showing them piece by piece how all the Old Testament scriptures were about him. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, 39, you're busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically poring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me. What's Jesus saying? The whole Bible actually unveils him. There's an old saying, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed... It's the shadow. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. That's the full clarity. It's interesting. In the very opening words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word translated beginning is the word first fruit. Isn't that interesting? Genesis 1, we could read it with the sense. In the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. In Paul's letter to Corinth, we see that Jesus is the first fruit. In Colossians chapter 1, we see that Jesus, God created everything through Jesus. So here we are, right in the very beginning. In the first fruit, in Jesus, God created the heavens and the earth. A few chapters later, we uh, we meet a man named Cain and his brother Abel. Cain was a farmer. He was a tiller of the ground. Abel was the keeper of the sheep. He brought God his first fruit as an offering, his his first sheep as an offering, as a sacrifice. And it pleased the Lord. Why? Because the first fruit, the lamb that Abel brought, is another picture of Christ. The only thing that is pleasing to God is Christ himself. What did Abel do? The fruit, uh, he was a tiller. He was a farmer the, he, the the ground. His sacrifice represented the fruit of his labor, represented the religious systems of our day, trying to get us to offer the fruit of our own human sweat and labor and make that acceptable to God. That's good. Guys, the whole thing's about him. You can go, now do you see why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't? Because... Jesus is the only sacrifice accepted. Are we okay? I mean, we, we could go through the whole Bible. I'm not going. To. I just want to give you a couple examples, the whole things about him. Don't you remember, remember the five offerings, the Leviticus series from last year? Like, like every detail was about him. The day of atonement was about him. The ark that Noah built is a picture of Christ. In order to build an ark, what do you have to do? You have to cut down some wood. In the Bible, wood is a symbol of humanity, Jesus came to earth, he lived as a human, and he was cut down in the land of living, giving, giving his life as a ransom, that he might become an ark for you and I to live on and be saved. And the instructions for building the ark, Genesis 6.14, it says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms, of, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The word there for pitch is the word for atonement. God's instruction was to pitch the ark inside and outside. could be translated, atone it within and atone it without. Put the atoning blood on the inside and the outside. It's the blood of Jesus that seals us for the day of redemption. God told Moses to build the ark in three stories. Moses' ark parallels, I'm sorry, Noah's ark parallels Moses' tabernacle with an outer court, a holy place, and a, and a most holy place. You could look at the dimensions of the ark, the actual numbers of the dimensions that they built the ark in, those numbers represent Jesus. I mean, it just all goes back to him. The story of Abraham, we can see how God provided a sacrifice for him with the ram caught in the thicket and how God provided the sacrifice for us. And we can see Jesus in the deliverance, of Passover, the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, in the Passover, in the provision of the desert, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifice, the feast, the festivals, the Aaronic priesthood, the priestly garments. Literally every thread is a picture of what Jesus has done. Uh, The story of Joseph, who was rejected by his brothers and became the savior of them all. And it just goes on and on and on. The Bible is much more than a history book. It's an ongoing, unfolding, unveiling of Jesus Christ. And it's especially evident in the book of Revelation, where we read in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to give you a book called How to Read Japanese, and you were to open up that book, and it was actually um, a book about how to fix German cars, you'd be pretty disappointed, right? Because the title is uh, completely different from the contents, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go to a bookstore, I'm looking at the titles on the spine knowing that's what the book's going to be about. This is the title on the spine. He's literally saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why would people think that the unveiling of Jesus Christ is about bugs as big as Volkswagen's and blood up to a horse's bridle? Are we okay? Am I talking too fast? You guys are like... (sighs) Some people read Revelation and they might hyper-literalize everything instead of seeing the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's not simply a manual of what is coming. It's a, it's a book about who is coming. And who is coming is being unveiled right in front of our eyes. And as he's unveiled, you're unveiled. The more you focus on Jesus in every verse you read, the more this book will unlock to you. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is the word apocalypse not that interesting? The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Can you, uh, can you pull up the, uh, the next picture there? No. Uh, that, yeah, we'll get that. Yeah, there it is. Okay. So that is, that is a bride. And can you see who that is? Can you see who that is behind the veil? No, you can't because she's veiled. She's covered up, right? And so, um, you know, who is this bride? Would you recognize her when you saw her? Okay. In the Greek language, go to that one slide with the, with the Greek words on there. Okay, we're not going to do a whole bunch of Greek words. And we're not going to make this a Greek study here. But I'm, here's what I want you to see. The, um, where it says the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The word there is apocalypto. Apo means the removal of, to unveil, to uncover. Calypto means the veil. So apocalyptic, the, the apocalypse of Jesus literally means the removing of the veil. The unveiling of Jesus. Okay? In verse 1, is a uh, The word revelation is apocalypse. Now, how do we use the word today? We use it like zombie apocalypse or like Hollywood types movies that are talking about like the end of the world, right? But that's not what this word means here. It literally means the removing of the veil. Here's the deal, guys. The book of Revelation is actually about a wedding. Actually, the whole Bible is about a wedding. It starts in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates a bride for the son of man, Adam, and the book concludes, the climax of the book of Revelation is where um, G, the, the son of man, Jesus, is united with his bride, the church, the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is a realm. It's not a city. Anyway, we'll get there. All right. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We, we almost made it through the first phrase. Isn't this good? The revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is interesting. here. I'm not, I'm not sure totally what all this means, but just look at the chain of communication. God gives the revelation to Jesus. Jesus gives it to an angel. The angel gives it to John, and John gives it to the servants of God who love him. Just interesting chain of communication. What's it mean? I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Guys, this is the only book in the Bible that says it's a blessing just for reading it out loud. There's, that should be incentive enough alone just to read this book. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud. Blessed can mean, the word blessing there can mean happiness, okay? Um, you know, like super joyful, mega blessed. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. We're going to see there's a sevenfold pattern throughout the book of Revelation. It's just it's mind-blowing. Uh, there's seven blessings through the, the book of Revelation. This is one of them. But here's what I want you to see. John is writing to a group of people who don't feel very blessed. If you were to look at them on the outside, you wouldn't be like, oh, man. Here's John writing from prison, blessed, highly favored. Like, like no one's thinking that, right? Here, the people he's writing to, they're persecuted. He mentions a martyr when he talks about one of the churches, He's writing from prison. They're tempted by false teaching. They're faint-hearted. They're apathetic. Some of them are tempted to quit. And John says to them, if you read this book and you begin to internalize the thing that it's talking about and put it into practice, you will be blessed by the living God. There may be some of you in here, you're not feeling blessed. You're not feeling amazing. You're not feeling like the abundant life is is yours right now. I've got some good news for you. Your answer is in the book of Revelation. This is not a book about the devil's best, the devil's worst that he can do. It's a book about God's best, about what he has in store for us. And so if you're discouraged by the news, I would encourage you, put your eyes back on Jesus, read this book so that the blessing that's promised you will come upon your life. How we doing? Good it doesn't mean every problem will magically melt away, but you will learn to live in the presence and power of the Almighty And someday, at the literal, physical, visible return of Jesus, you will hear, well done. All right? So I want to give you a couple things for understanding the book of Revelation, just so you can understand where I'm kind of coming from with this book. And then we'll be applying this. Guys, we'll get into all this stuff, all the metaphors, everything, as we go through this thing. But today is just kind of an intro, just kind of a 30,000-level foot view. So understanding the book of Revelation, the first thing is, the first people who read it were first-century Christians, so we read it over their shoulder we'll see uh, here next time, that was actually written to seven churches in Asia Minor. I don't think China and Singapore. um, Think Western Turkey, the modern-day Western Turkey. It was seven churches in Western Turkey. So 2,000 years later, we're looking over their shoulder to see how they would have understood it before we can apply it to how it hits us. The Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. There was actually seven churches in Asia Minor that John sent this out to, and it would have gone to them, and it would have been spread out from there. And so... I used this illustration, uh, I think, uh, last time, but I, I know some of you weren't here for that. So imagine that I'm driving home and my wife uh, gives me a call and says, Jim, can you pick up some toilet paper on the way home? I'm like, yeah, toilet paper, yeah. And so, um, which especially during uh, COVID is, is actually a, like a currency, <clears throat> right? Like, right. buttcoin. And so the... Um... <laughs> Did I just hear a boo? Are we seriously? <laughs> is it come to this, people of God? Jim, can you pick up some toilet paper? And I'm like, toilet paper is used for wiping. i wonder if my wife is feeling some shame that she needs wiped away. So I call Cheryl and make her a sozo appointment to get rid of the shame. <laughs> That's how many people are interpreting the, the book of Revelation. They don't care what John was originally saying and what it originally meant to the original audience. They're just reading in their own interpretation. Well, here's what I think it means. It doesn't matter what you think the dragon means. How would they have understood what the dragon meant? Okay? The Bible can never mean what it never meant. Okay? And so we're going to read it looking over their shoulder. They didn't read it and be like, this book is so freaky. Hey, maybe in 2,000 years it'll make sense. Let's stick it in the Bible. No, they actually received a blessing for reading it and understanding it and putting it into practice in their day. So we're going to need to find out what it meant so we can find out what it means to us. We don't want to leave it in the first century and have an interesting history lesson. We need to have the unveiling of Jesus impact us today. Are we all right? All right, number two, only Jesus is able to open the scroll and unlock its deep mysteries to us. A lot of these are going to kind of be related. I'm just trying to hit some things from different perspectives. We'll see this when we get into chapter 5. But only Jesus has the title deed to the universe. Only Jesus has the seven-sealed book. Uh, when he holds this book in his hands, he's the only one who has the right to unlock these seals, to unlock these mysteries, uh, to unlock these seven seals in us that were sealed seven times with the Holy Spirit. When we look at the seven seals of the Holy Spirit. Right, just giving you a little preview there. Number three, we must approach it with a spirit of worship, not seeking a word of scholarship. Okay. It's interesting. There's seven songs in the book of Revelation. There seems like there's seven of everything in the book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's awesome. And just keep singing your way through the book. It's a book of worship, not a book of scholarship that we're after. If in our study of the book of Revelation, it doesn't lead us to worship, then we've been doing it wrong. If it leads us to arguing and debate and fear and, oh, my goodness, it's going to be so bad. And is the church going to get raptured out of here? No, because there is no rapture. Sorry, it's not in the book of Revelation. Either is the Antichrist. John said the Antichrist was back in the first century. He said, you already have many Antichrists among you. So, are we okay? Are we going to be willing to lay down some of the fictional novels that we've read when interpreting the book of Revelation? I'm not saying I got the answers. I'm just saying it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, are we okay? You can keep your rapture if you want. <clears throat> but our study of Revelation, should lead us to worship Number four, the, revelation, the Holy Spirit is the one who removes the veil And helps us receive the truth of Revelation So if the apocalypse is the removing of the veil, what is the veil? Fair enough question, right? Well, we're told in the Bible what the veil is 2 Corinthians 3.14 says the veil is the law It's that sin-focused theology that has you constantly looking And evaluating yourself rather than evaluating what Jesus has done Anyone ever heard one of those sermons where you left feeling terrible and like a worm and like, I need to double my efforts and try harder? Mm, you just enjoyed the law and you had a veil and you can't see Jesus clearly. You can't see the new covenant clearly. The veil is shame and guilt and law keeping. Guilt and law always go together. And what does it do? It makes you want to put on your fig leaves and hide from God. The veil over your heart is that sin-driven, sin-based theology that brings guilt and traffics and shame. And when the veil is removed, what happens? We see his glory. And it goes from glory to glory. If you turn your heart to the Lord, the veil is removed. It's interesting, that's 2 Corinthians 3. It's interesting. A lot of translations say, um, uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? Powerful thing. Brian Tr- uh, Simmons translates it. Interesting. He says, the spirit of the Lord is everywhere. It should actually say, where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. So whatever area of your life is where the Lord, where the Spirit is the Lord, the veil is removed, and we can see His glory in that area of our life. How are we doing? Here's the good news. The veil is lifted off of Him, but it's also lifted off of you. The Holy Spirit helps, you, helps us see who we are becoming as Jesus is unveiled. Number five, it's the unveiling of... You notice I'm going to have seven of these, right? I mean... expect anything less it's either that or 144,000 so there we go (laughs) number five it's the unveiling of jesus christ not a revelation of the antichrist i've hit this a few different angles i just want to make sure it's not a revelation of his second coming it's a revelation of him there's a big difference it's the unveiling of jesus christ to me and an unveiling of jesus christ in me because you're now one with him when he's revealed we see ourselves more clearly it's not christ in heaven that's the hope of glory it's Christ in you that's the hope of God expressing himself through this planet, through his people. There's a second coming in the Bible, but there's also going to be a second coming of Christ through his people, the church, on display for planet Earth to see. Before he comes back, we've got to come back. What, what is all of creation groaning for? That the sons and daughters of God would be revealed. Same word, unveiled. Unveiled. He's gonna come back, but he wants to come back through you first. I like how one author put it, it's not about the judge it's it's about the judge and not the judgments, the lamb and not the dragon, the seven spirits of God, not demons, the rider on the white horse who has four names, just not just the four horses of the apocalypse. It's about the throne of God, not the seat of the beast. It's about the lion of the tribe of Judah, not the beast coming out of the sea. It's about the faithful and true witness, not the false prophet. It's about the 144,000 sons of God on Mount Zion, not the beast on the earth. It's about those who have the Father's name on their forehead, not the mark of the beast. It's about the New Jerusalem, not Mystery of Babylon. You're the New Jerusalem. It's about the bride of the lamb, not the whore of Babylon, not the harlot. It's about the man-child on the throne, not the dragon cast out of heaven. It's about the glory of God, not the darkness that covers the earth. It's about the overcomers, not the churches whose candlesticks are removed. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Number six, we are right. Jesus spoke in parables and continues to teach us through the language of parables, the language of the heart, which is pictures. Whenever you're reading a book, it's, it's good to say, what kind of literature is this, right? I mean, if, uh, yeah, you wouldn't read, uh, you know, remember that movie, The Fly? Yeah. Like, like, you wouldn't read that as a documentary because you know it's science fiction, right? And so it's, it's good when you're reading a book of the Bible. Is this a poetic book? Is this a history book? Is it a gospel, which is a biography? Is it, you know, right? Is it, uh, and so when we come to the apocalypse, what kind of book is it? Well, it's interesting. Revelation chapter one, verse one tells us. Uh, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known to them. Uh, The word there is signified. He signed and symbolized it to them by sending his angel to his servant John. The original Greek is he, he sent it and made it known by signs and symbols. The New King James tries to pick up on this. He sent and signified it or signified it by his angel. The angel used a certain mode of communication, which was signs and symbols. Guys, word pictures, metaphor, symbol, parable, allegory, mystery language, that is the heart language of God. He doesn't speak Greek. He doesn't speak English. He doesn't speak French. He speaks sign and symbol. He speaks pictures is how he speaks. Pictures capture the heart, right? The Bible's full of symbols, wheats, tares, pearls, doors, veils, numbers, dimensions, colors, right? Why? Because God, he has these symbols that capture our heart, but they point us to a greater reality. Okay? So in the book of Revelation, we're going to find cities. We're going to find a city called Jerusalem. What do we need to know? If it's a book of signs and symbols, it's not really a literally about the, book, about the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is pointing to something else. How do we know what it points to? That's number seven. I'm going to get to that in just a second. We're going to find a great river Euphrates. We're going to find a great lumbering beast. We're going to find a woolly lamb. We're going to find another lamb that's been slain that's full of eyes and horns. I mean, the more you look at the book of Revelation, it's like, where are they getting this stuff from? Another realm. That's where they're getting it from. You're going to see marks on the forehead and the wrist. There's a woman sitting on a beast that lumbers across the desert, and she has a cup full of blood. There's 144,000. What's going on? This is a book of symbols and signs, and a symbol and a sign is pointing beyond itself to the reality of another world. So when I see a beast and all of its grotesqueness with eyes and horns and all these things going on, um, what do we know? That uh, it's not a literal beast because we've been warned from the beginning with a, that it's a book of signs and symbols, right? Uh, we can't, here, if it's a book of signs and symbols, we can't say, oh yeah, yeah, the lamb, that is symbolic, but the millennium, it's a literal 1,000-year reign, unless somewhere it tells us it's a literal 1,000-year reign, but it doesn't, so we know it's symbolic, I'm not trying to be mean. The pictures, symbols and metaphors are the I love you cards of Jesus. It's the heart language of God as pictures. Okay. Number seven, the key to interpreting the revelation is the other 65 books of the Bible. Okay. God put the key to the code in the rest of the Bible. If you don't understand the first 65 books, then the, other, then the last one isn't going to make sense to you. Every commentator in the book of Revelation agrees that the symbolism is rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, without understanding the other 65 books, it's unknowable. All right? I remember the first time reading through the book of Revelation in college. I was more confused when I was done than when I began. I'm like, I don't understand it any better than I just did. Why? Because I didn't understand that the key to interpreting it was not... Listen, guys, there's a danger when you pull in all this uh, historical background information that Bible readers don't have access to. Well, here's what was going on with Nero and Domitian and this and this and this. Some of that can be helpful, but it, the code is inside the book. <laughs> if it's all up to history and you know, the, you know, the, you know, how they worshipped back then and the, and the pagan temples and how it was parallel, that may give some insight, but it can't provide the key. Otherwise, it's inaccessible to people except for that historical area, era, and then maybe since the 1800s, since we've done some good um, archaeology. But most of the church world would have had no access to that information. The key is in the other 65 books of the Bible. I don't know if you ever watched a, um, like you would never like just begin at the end of a book and think you understand what's going on, right? I, except I did that one time, but that was that was bad. Remember that? Okay, I'll just tell you. So remember that book, The Shack, when everyone's like reading it and going crazy over it? Well, I knew in the book that like the guy's little girl got kidnapped. And so I'm like, I'm not going to read this book unless I find out if she's alive or not. Mary's like, oh, it's this beautiful journey. And, you know, and God's picture, like a black woman and the Holy Spirit's like a Chinese man. And it's getting all this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Does she die? Well, I don't know yet. I'm like, well, so we we're on vacation. And so she's like, I'm not letting you do this. I know what you're going to try to do. You're going to try to read. I'm like. That's exactly what I'm gonna try to do. And so um, we were at the pool and I was hiding under the umbrella with my I think I think it was the year 2012, so I probably had 2012 sunblock on. That's I usually whatever year it is, that's the number of sunblock I wear. And so uh, she went to like, you know, get, get something to drink. I pulled it out read the end. I'm like, I'm done. Other than that exception, it would not make any sense to do that with a book, right? Unless you hate it when you're watching a movie with someone, like the whole first half of the movie, they're kind of like in and out, like making some food. And then they come in the second half. I don't have anybody in mind for this. They come in the second half and they're like, um, I really don't. I really don't. And they come in the second half and they're like, who's this? Why are they doing this? And well, well how come they said this? And where are they like, you would have known if you would have watched the first half of the movie that they're the killer. That's the whole point of this thing, right? That's how it is in the book of Revelation. You're like, who is this? Where's the dragon? Why is this beast? What do these bowls mean? Why is this trumpet? And, well, it all is from the other 65 books. And when we look at the other 65 books, which the readers, the original readers all had access to, they had the Old Testament, primarily primarily from the Old Testament. They had access to that. Now we're going to go, oh, that's what it meant. All right. So there's uh, 22 chapters in Revelation, 404 verses, depending on what scholar you read, between 300 and 800 direct references to the Old Testament. 404 verses, 300 to 800 direct references to the Old Testament. The book of Daniel is, uh, is the one that's pri- is cited more than any other book. Okay? So um, what does the dragon mean? Well, let's find out there was a dragon in the Old Testament. You know, what, are the, what are the two witnesses? Who are they? Old Testament. <clears throat> What's the mark on the forehead and the wrist? It's right there in the Old Testament. We okay? okay. All right. hope this is making sense. And just know this: this is my approach to the Book of Revelation. I've learned some things from other people, and um, as well, I'm not saying this is the only valid interpretation. Okay, I, I, there uh, there is great insights to be gained from lots of different methods. This is just the one that uh, you're listening to me. So this is the one I'm doing. Okay, but I don't want us to begin debating and picking apart other people's things. Listen, there's there's lots of different ways to interpret it. And I think there's some, uh, there's some validity in a lot of those different methods. Okay, so are we good on that? Remember, I don't know it all. I don't know. Thank you. Mary said, you don't know it all. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> That's going to become her new declaration at our house. <laughs> Babe, I think we should do this. You don't know it all. She's gonna... All right. Let's. Uh, I want to. Um, I want to conclude with an activation for you guys. But I want to give you my outline of the book of Revelation. Okay. And the reason I did not have a sheet for you is I had to cut out six pages last minute of, of notes. I just had way too much stuff. It was just getting insane. And um, I realize this isn't seminary. I'm I accidentally putting on my seminary hat for a little bit. So, um, okay. So I'll give you. I'll give you this outline next time. So, are we okay so far? So I don't particularly like outlines because I feel like it tries to cram everything into like the little outline box. With that said, that I hate outlines. Here's my outline. Okay. It's just a simple outline and um, all right. There's I'll give I'll give you the notes next week. Okay? Just just let it hit you. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's all you need to walk away with today. And it's a book of signs and symbols other than and we need the Holy Spirit. Other than that, Everything I just said, that's what you need. And just, just, just take away that, Stuart. Just that's everything I said. Yeah. All right. I'll give you some good notes on it. So I, the way I see it, it's a book of, there's lots of different ways to outline it. I see it as seven different visions. And each vision is a picture of the cross of Christ, the finished work of Christ, and to look at it from a different perspective. And so like when you get to chapter four, we're going to see it's from the perspective of Easter Sunday morning. Right, chapters four and five, and so uh, so it'll be so seven different visions. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the different visions here in just a second. It starts with what Jesus has done at the cross, and then it applies that to their situation that day, and then it goes back to another vision. So it's just this continual thing of of looking at the cross of Christ from this thing, applying it to a situation that they're going through, looking at it from here. Seven different visions of the cross of Christ. Here we go. Um, So okay, here we go. The first vision. Um, which we'll be considering starting next week, is, uh, is from chapters 1 through 3, which shows us Christ in the middle of his church, which in turn is in the middle of the world. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, the second vision is from chapters 4 through 7, which portrays the church in trial and persecution. The third vision, which is chapters 8 through 11, don't try to write all this down. God bless you. Okay, you can take pictures. That's great. Yeah. The third vision, which is chapters 8 through 11, shows that the church is protected. It is triumphant. In fact, God avenges the church. Those who dare to touch the church are touched by God. And so that's uh, it's this one about the two witnesses, which is not Elijah and Enoch. He tells us right there what they are. He says that they're lampstands. The lampstand is the church. You're the two witnesses. Sorry. There we go. The fourth vision, chapters 12 through 14, Christ in his church opposes the satanic trinity, the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. The fifth vision, which is chapters 15 and 16, shows me the wrath of God, which falls on those who will not repent. The sixth vision, chapters 17 through 19, shows me the fall of Babylon and the destruction of all the beasts that rose against God. The final vision, chapters 20 through 22, shows the judgment of Satan made manifest the eternal victory of Christ in the church forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. Amen. Are we good? It's just so, so simple. You guys see it now? All right. Any questions? Just kidding. We're not doing that ever. Man. Here's I want to close. If we could put up 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 through 13. I believe the best way to hear the book of Revelation is when humility and revelation kiss then the light of God, the glory of God can shine upon us. And so I want us to just, I want us to ask for ears to hear. But I want you to see, uh, here's one of those verses where it pulls back the veil and Paul tells us how it actually works in the spiritual realm. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13 in the Passion Translation. <clears throat> this is why the scriptures say, he's quoting an Old Testament passage here, things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine, These are the many things God has in store for all his lovers. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? In other words, no one really knows you except your spirit within you. No one really knows God except the spirit within God. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. Verse 12, for we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all, the great, all that grace has lavished upon us. I like that. So we might come to understand and experience. Guys, we don't want this to be theories of the book of Revelation, intellectual curiosities. We want to eat the book of glory, and we want to receive that glory, right? Verse 13, And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the Spirit, and not with words taught by human wisdom. We join together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-revealed words. All right? So I really feel the truth of that statement. Understanding comes when humility and revelation meet, this is not simply a vision given to John. It's to be an inward discovery for you and me. It's Christ unveiled in you. It's not a drama of Satan's worst. It's a supernatural drama of God's best. And so one thing I'd like us to just kind of end with here is, you know, God, I'm going to put aside all my preconceived notions of revelation, and I'm going to ask you to give me ears to hear. One thing I just I want to make sure we get here is, this isn't a book that we're going to just dig out with a commentary and some word studies and those type of things. It's a book that we have to sit in front of. You know, I love how Proverbs says it. It says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Brian Simmons' translation of that is, um, God hides his secrets in his glory. Isn't that interesting? And so there's this realm called the mystery realm, which it cannot be hunted and figured out with intellect. It has to be revealed. And so that's what we're going after. We want, the, we want these mysteries of Jesus to be revealed to us and so let's just pray this prayer together here whatever it looks, i'm gonna i'm gonna lead you a little bit but i'm gonna leave some space so you can pray it too god we want eyes to see and ears to hear we're asking for your holy spirit to unveil jesus to us we want to see him more clearly in this book we want to see the majesty of him we want to be like john and when we see you in all your glory to fall down like we're dead and just worship so lord i pray that you will give us that kind of insight lord Lord, we come to you with a hungry heart. We want to eat this book. And so we're asking you for eyes to see and ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, I think we, oh, I'm done. That's, that's it. We're done for that? It's-